Welcome to the first episode of CRA's new podcast series, Have You Noticed? My name is Matt Campbell, and today I'm joined by my colleagues Joe McIntosh and Andy Norton from the training team to discuss Have You Noticed? People's Contrasting Reactions to the New Normal. This episode came about because of conversations primarily from Joe with his neighbours and, uh, and family around returning to the workplace. So Joe, do you want to kick things off and talk about what the new normal is and what that looks like and, and why people are so keen to get back to the old ways or also desperate to, to move on from them? Yeah, I guess, like you say, this was um, curious peop- uh, as to people's reaction to the, going back to work, really. Uh, and just wondering how many times other people you know might be able to relate to this how many times other people have been asked so when are you going back to work even if you've been working from home and it was just fascinating just noticing my own reaction to uh, that question the first time i was asked it there was almost a bit of defensiveness about going well i am working you know i'm not being a lazy lazy person here kind of just sitting back and i have been working the whole time but just at home and uh, it was uh, like you say it was my next door neighbor kind of almost modified her language recently because she asked me that very question uh, right at the start of lockdown, really, uh, and said, well, give her the kind of that, that, that stock response of, well, I have been working, just so happens to be working from home. And then uh, it was about two or three nights ago, uh, maybe slightly longer, that she said, um, oh, so are you working? But, oh, are, are you going back to work? And are you going back to physical work? Uh, uh, so she almost modified her own response mm-hmm. or her own framing of the question based on, you know, what probably how I'd responded before. But mm. inherently within that, there was still that kind of going back to things are going to need to progress or need to, are going to need, not even progress, are almost are going to need to regress back to what it was before um, for us to kind of, you know, feel normal. It's as if going into the office is normal for everyone when, of course, that's absolutely not true. Andy, can you offer some insights into what the word normal does to people's mindset and the impact that's having on people? Yeah, I, I think you're completely right. I think it's fascinating to think about we're currently in a position now and you see it in the media and you, you see it on LinkedIn where half half of the population are yearning to return to the past normal and half the population are yearning for the establishment of a new normal. But like you say, normal is different for everybody. So being able to quantify, and I, I, I'd be amazed if anyone could quantify what normal was for everybody. And actually, maybe it's this pace of change and it's the, the way that people feel with regards to things being so different so quickly and, and still not really being sure about what's going to happen in the future that allows people to think maybe I'll put my rose tinted spectacles on and, and, and how it was before. And there's a bit of nostalgia there to think that actually things were better pre-COVID when actually, you know, Within a work context, I think organizations and people have, have, have definitely grown within this new post-COVID or not even post because we're still living through it. But it's this, this world where we're starting to see people working from home, being more flexible. We're moving away from this Victorian era, clock, you know, clicking, um, clicking's not the word. What's it called? Clocking. Um, clocking. Clocking. Yeah. clocking for, um, work at like eight in the morning and then clock out at six o'clock at night and you have to work within those times and it felt like a, a big thing i was thinking about recently was we have the technology of the future that we're using now for both learning and development and for operations and contacting each other but we're sticking to these victorian mentalities about 
when we have to work and we have to be seen to be working and, and it, it just feels outdated and I'm I'm very much a glass half full kind of guy and I feel like this is a great opportunity to re- really grab that with both hands but not at the cost of isolating people who who miss that that regularity that routine and maybe that's where that drive for return to normal is is that there is there is pattern and and with working from home some people find they they can't have that pattern yeah and i think that together with that you know that that statement get back to normal you know i think that there's it's a fascinating statement in and of itself when you think about it get back to normal so there's inherently a belief that we accept that normal is universal for everybody which as you say andy it's not and it's almost it needs to be prefixed with get back to my normal. Mm-hmm. I think that the transition from you know, our Victorian work, you, know, you said there, you, you, you almost said there wrongly, you know, um, you know, click in uh, rather than clock in. But actually, now you think about it, it is clicking. You know, yeah. I'm just going to click on my mouse to to, to <laughs> click in uh, to Teams or whatever to show that I'm, I'm there and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that's, you know, interesting, but I think that you know, for people to get used to maybe the new order of things or where things could potentially go, it's then to to help people think. Well, what is it that makes your life normal? What is your normal? What are the aspects of your normal that you are missing at the moment, uh, which need to be in some way create uh, recreated uh, or in, in in some way satisfied. Uh, you know, that needs, it goes mm. back to needs again. You know, what are, what are some of the needs that currently, you know, yeah, have been taken away from you or had been taken away from us, you know, in the in early stages of, uh, of lockdown that we then started to get used to again, that in some way need to be, uh, well, first of all, identified and then recreated again. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And it's when these individual normals collide and we start to build a new culture that those, the words normal really come into effect. I mean, Myself and Matt were having a conversation earlier and I said, since lockdown, meeting virtually, I felt more connected to my colleague. I felt more on point with how the workplace is operating. I know what people are doing and I felt a more important cog in the, in the culture that is our business. But equally, other people that we work with, they, they don't. They, people miss the social aspect. So I think the real challenge is defining our own normals. Um, I've just done air commerce as well as we can see them, <laughs> but also that, you know, how, how are we going to meld those together in a organizational culture, in a family culture, in a regional culture, in a national identity culture, you know, in light of all the political turmoil that's going on now, how, how does these new normals fit together and how is that going to impact the professional workplace and, and, and society for the next five, 10, 15 years going forward? I think yeah. that quantifying it as the new normal is kind of suggesting that people should just accept it, that this is the way it is, when actually it should be framed as the current reality. Because even when, even since people have started to use the, the phrase new normal, things have changed massively. Um, I mean, just day to day, week to week, it, it doesn't look the same, it doesn't feel the same, um, and it's going to continue to change. And I think if, if you're struggling with what's going on at the moment, and I think that there are a lot of people that are, and it's fully justified, by saying, well, this is the new normal, it's like, Get over it, accept it, deal with it. And, and that's fine if, if you're someone that has thrived through this, this period of change. 
or it didn't want to go back to the way they were, maybe because you realised that actually you've gained a whole load of time with your family because of the commute, whatever it might be, I think it can be quite um, a source of conflict between those who saw some benefit from the, the, the comfort zone or, or, or their routine versus those that like their new routine. And it's like, by, by terming it as new normal, it's like, well, this is how it is. You've just got to accept it. But actually, it's, except what? It's, it's always changing. And the other thing that's interesting around how people are framing things is I don't know how many people how many times people will have heard somebody say um we're you know we're all in the same boat and I think that you know the truth of it is that we're all in the same storm but in different boats and I think that's a healthy if not necessary aspect for people to get a hold of not just at work uh, but at home as well, uh, and with family and with friends, to kind of you know appreciate that you know this experience has not been the same for everybody, mm. and that um, when we, I guess, appreciate that you know yes, COVID is the storm, and yet we're all in different boats, then that means that we can then be I guess more understanding of needs and an understanding of you know where people are and what they need in order to. You know, re-engage with you know whether it be work or even you know sometimes re-engaging with you know um, friends or society as a whole because yep. you know we certainly have seen instances where people have um, been more reticent to kind of come. I mean, I, I, even to a degree now, I still have a little bit of this where I kind of think, you know, I'm 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 not ready to even go to the gym yet. Mm-hmm. When I think about it, you know, there are certain aspects, there are certain. Um, things that I would normally do and normally get a lot of joy out of where I'm just still thinking I'm not sure that I'm ready for that yet I don't want to, I'm, I'm still in the boat where I kind of think I want to go for a run I'm much happier to go for a run or play a game of golf uh, than I will you know go to the gym and um, yeah yeah I mean obviously you, you and I both play five-side football together and, and neither of us have gone back to that whereas others have mm. and I think that's where yeah like you say it's um the storm is the same, but they they're in different situations. They've different. They've made different choices. Mm-hmm. That I think it's just being tolerant and accepting that our, different people are reacting to this in such different ways, and and just being okay with that, and, and not trying to force our perspective onto others, and just yeah, just just giving people that flexibility, giving people that space is is really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, agree, hundred percent. Quite interested to get your opinions on how people cope with change and, and different people's capacity for change and, and what you've seen from, because you guys have also been running training programs throughout this period, um, albeit primarily virtually. What have you seen in terms of different ways that people are coping with change? Anyone surprised you? Um, yeah, just interested to get your opinion. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise for me is this idea around demographics and certain demographics being more open to virtual and technology-based learning compared to others. I think, and I'll hold my hand up and say here that initially the older demographics I found the most reluctance and the newer demographics were engaging. But as, as time went on, that, that wasn't the case. You know, if you think about the organizations that are championed as fluid, active and young legs, your, your, your Monzos, your uh, Slacks, and actually 
spending more time working with multiple different organizations of our clients, they, we found that actually some of the biggest advocates are those um, demographics that typically haven't grown up with it, with technology the way that, that we have the baby boomer generation that haven't grown up with the internet or their, their first phone was a smartphone rather than a fax machine. And actually it's, it's to some extent, some of the younger generation missing out on the socio-emotive learning that comes with face-to-face training. They're, they, they find they don't have the same coping mechanisms. They say they don't have the same resilience to do that as, as the older generation. I, I, I think it's fascinating and almost constantly challenging my own preconceptions about who wants to engage in what type of learning and what their outcomes will be. I think that's probably one of my biggest takeaways from the past few months, really thinking about, you know, and again, it lends itself to the, to everybody's unique new normal is thinking about, you know, what, what is it for these individuals that, that we can put in place that they can put in place that will enable them to get the best out of this situation. Because I think technology can be both an enabler to learning and a disabler. Do you think companies are doing enough to help individuals, people respond to this, the, the changes that we're going through, um, maintain the culture of the work that was in the kind of, I guess, yeah, the physical workplace and, and transporting that over to um, a virtual workplace? I'm not sure whether it's necessarily always about our companies and organisations doing enough. I think it's also about how how have they adapted? Because what's the point of trying to recreate the culture that existed in the workplace when they're no longer at the workplace? It's it's almost like having to redefine, well, what's the new culture that we want to try and create when people are working in the way that they're now working? And to use your phrase, you know, in this current reality, which helps, yeah, get the most, get, 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 get the best for their organizations and the business and ultimately probably at the moment helps their business survive maybe not even thrive or anything, just survive, at the same time as making sure ultimately that, you know, people are feeling supported, people aren't feeling left abandoned. And I think probably the danger early doors in the lockdown would be that people were in survival mode, companies were in survival mode, companies were in task mode of just how on earth do we navigate this? Um, And to a degree, maybe they still are. Um, You know, because things are still uncertain and, things are still changing all the time there's no it it makes it hard to kind of settle down to then yeah try and um take stock of where 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 companies are and uh and 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 maybe look after their people uh, which is you know which is the cruel irony in some ways because it's like now more than ever that's when they need to be looking after their people and i think just to echo i i agree with those sentiments completely but just to draw attention to a couple of the the trending topics at the moment is a month after lockdown began, a full lockdown in the UK, that is, there were lots of articles circulating Harvard Business Review, LinkedIn, about reboarding and the importance reboarding we're going to take in terms of getting people who were furloughed back into the workplace. Now, just to echo Joe, it's, it almost feels like because we haven't got a new, new normal or we, we're not sure of our current reality, the culture hasn't melded because we've still got people on furlough and every time somebody comes back from furlough there's a change to that culture often organizations don't know what that reboard process is but also that it says certainly in the uk that furlough scheme is coming to an end at the end of october so i think there is a pressure on organizations now to start thinking about right we might not have a finite culture but we we need to start thinking about 
how are we going to operate going forward? And we need to start putting in things in place for our staff to get them to a position of safety where they can contribute to making that culture. Because I think for a lot of people who've been furloughed for six months, going from zero to full in, I, I just don't think that's practical. Safety is a, a really key word. There's been a lot of emphasis placed rightly on, on mental health well-being um, throughout this time period. It's, it's shown an interesting light on, on that subject. I think when you're talking about reboarding or just in general, people's kind of um, expectations around what's happening, um, it feels like if people aren't comfortable, there is a lot of silence. And I think as well, if you are working from home or you are cut off from your place, silence can be it's almost easier to end up in that place than it might have been in a physical workspace um, and it's also quite difficult to potentially check in with people some people are very uncomfortable having difficult conversations virtually when you can only see a sort of a floating head on a screen quite easy to withdraw from those um those more difficult conversations and, and have the conversation around uh, well are you actually coping okay um and let's like, say reboarding like people coming off furlough it, potentially that could be quite a lot of people in one go and our company set up to bring people back in effectively and, and manage their workloads and, and Joe as you said it's not uh, not just about transporting the, the culture but I suppose it's how the uh, redefining it for a um, appropriately for the, the situation people find themselves in. Yeah I agree and I think that um you know what? The, the, you asked the question um, earlier on around what are the things that you've learned or what are the things that we've observed. You know, in terms of how people have reacted to this, and you know what are we seeing from a training perspective. I think it's interesting that yeah, we're seeing a lot of the things that we talk about in training courses coming into play. Um, you know, everything through from like you say, what are the real costs of people withdrawing and going to silence? You know, through to you know the change curve. You know, you know, and and what that actually looks like for people, and it's a very dynamic dynamic process. But also, and where we maybe started this whole thing off, you know, around why do we feel so uncomfortable with change in the first place? Uh, around you know inherently how we're how we're how we're built, and what our reaction to things changing and the unknown, and what that what that has to us. And you know, one of the it's been, yeah, the, the two curious aspects for me. Um, I guess behavioural aspects and I guess human aspects that have been fascinating to me um, have been just around that the the, li- the linguistics and the language around you know the going back to work versus mm-hmm. and going back to normal uh, and even you know as you said the the current reality the new normal versus the current reality those two things are totally different for me and there's more current reality for me affords a lot more. Um, opportunity to flex and opportunity to change and be reactive and responsive to what's going on as opposed to the new normal which is now set in stone and um, but uh, therein there lies a difficulty for us as humans to accept that because we like generally things to stay in an organized pattern an organized known way of being um and we we both know this exercise that we we run a lot which is a, an exercise um which just we call it grandmasters which is an exercise around getting a group of individuals through a particular grid and one of the one of the ways of getting through that grid is always a behavioral aspect so there's two ways of getting through one is to work out the code on the grid and it's a very distinct pattern. The other is got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with uh, the behaviour of a person, and that's been. And therefore, you repeat that particular behaviour, then you get through the grid. 
But what's always been fascinating to me is uh, from r- running that task for years is how often, even when people know and have sorted out the fact that it is a behavior that they need to do to get through that second gate, they still try and adopt the behavior of the first gate or they still try and adopt the behavior of what the first person did, even if it was wrong. And it's it's fascinating. Even when they know it's wrong, they still can't do it. And, and even any suggestion that, no, don't do that, but do this instead from other people, they find that they can't get themselves off that train track. They can't get themselves off that route. And I think that's what we're seeing you know, now to a degree. Even though we're maybe demonstrating to ourselves that there are different ways of doing things, we still feel welded to this idea of going back to work and going back to a physical office. You know, let's not take into account all the kind of financial aspects of this, you know, and the kind of pressures that are being maybe exerted by, let's say, external influences. You know, there's a, a, a certain human comfort in, you know, the known, the predictable, and this has just thrown all that in the air. And, you know, the second bit that has been surprising to me, so that's the first bit, maybe not surprising, but certainly it's been interesting looking at that. One of the biggest surprising aspects for me has been my own reaction uh, to it. Uh, and I wonder how reflective this is. You know, when I think back to what my normal was like um, before um, we went into this, um, that would have involved travelling around, certainly around Europe, if not further, uh, running training courses, constantly being faced with different situations, meeting new people all the time, working with new groups, always having to get up in front of a new group and trying to, I guess, get a bit of credibility to begin with and, you know, take a group through a journey, um, which on the face of it, and initially to some people that sounds like, well, that's, you know, getting out of your comfort zone a lot and being okay with that, you know, that's all fine. But what was fascinating was uh, that it didn't take a lot of time from being locked down, whereby we, whereby we got into a routine within our own home life around my wife being the person that would go out once a week to do the shopping, whereby suddenly the idea of going out and going to do the shopping became a stress. Mm-hmm. I genuinely felt a bit of stress about just going to do the shopping, you know, because I'd become, got out of practice of it. I would tell myself yeah. things like, oh my God, what if I get it wrong? What if I stand in the wrong place? You know, everybody else now has established what the order is and what they should be doing was my belief, you know, but why why should that be the case? Because I guess that was a stress response. Um, so that has been incredibly fascinating to me. Yeah, you say about the um, the changes and make sure you don't get it wrong. Um, my son had his first uh, swimming lesson post-lockdown the other day and there were so many different things I had to be conscious of that... I was so in my own head that I actually missed the bottom step of the pool and, and fell in. And I managed to keep my son above the water, but I did not act gracefully in that situation whatsoever. And I am someone that I do get quite, um, sort of going outside of my comfort zone can be something that makes me quite anxious. And I have found quite a lot. So, um, wanting to make sure that he has still has the same opportunities and still, and we're not, um, not projecting that anxiety onto him because he's of an impressionable age and, and we took him to uh, a zoo a few weeks back and there was a bit where you had to go inside and you were on quite a small, it was um, a raised platform that went round, it was all a one-way system but it was very narrow 
so you had to queue to get round because people were naturally looking at things. And people just started to get quite close. And it's that, you, um, and with a mask on, you can't see people's facial reactions. And it was a really stressful situation because I felt powerless to do much about it. I couldn't, I couldn't suddenly move forward. I, I, and it was just a situation of, um, it was actually my wife just asked them to move back. Um, <laughs> but, but you read all these articles about people getting quite aggressive when they're asked to step away, to put a mask on. Um, yeah, so that, and, and that again, that fuels my anxiety when I'm seeing it. And it's like, well, actually, as I'm quite comfortable and happy in, in the situation of doing, like, say, um, having food delivered here rather than going out to a shop. And it's like how, from a workplace perspective, if people have got those anxieties, that, that can be really challenging. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's going back to those individual needs of each person and and almost the reboarding, even though there might not be a magic, magic pill for this solution to reboarding people back into the workplace, there's so much change going on in other people's lives. So... And, and how dependent we are. And, and I didn't realize this until I was in the, I was paying for some fuel and, um, someone held the door open for me going out and I smiled and I, I, I just suddenly realized that from the bridge of my nose round my eyes into the bottom of the jaw, there's so much facial expression going on there. Thanks very much. Oh, no, after you, that's being missed. And that's causing anxiety for people or it's causing people worry or the, the way that they're going to, feel they're communicating is not effective anymore and so i do think there is an onus on companies to think about you know we want everyone to have the best possible solutions to their current state we want everyone to have the same opportunities so to do that we have to treat people differently we can't treat everybody the same we need to managers and leaders within organizations need to step up i think and and not saying that other organizations aren't doing that because i'm sure there are there are lots of positive stories out there of organizations going beyond what would often be seen as reasonable but there's also a lot of organizations out there who who perhaps are concentrating more on balancing the boots than they are on the emotional welfare of their staff and i think the balance boots of the companies of the future will need to shift from holding assets in financial institutions such as office blocks and warehouses into actually the value that individual staff members place. And I think currently at the minute they are stressing, they're trying to balance their boots. And I completely understand that because the company is trying to survive, but it's almost the people on furlough are being forgotten about. And those who are working, I talking to one of our clients recently, they're in meetings from eight in the morning till six in the night. They're on teams meetings with no break back-to-back, back-to-back meetings, and they're they're just being overworked. And I think we're at a real risk of those coming back into the workplace not knowing where they are, and those in the workplace being overworked and stressed. And then those two worlds, those two realities colliding, which could be very, very destructive for organizations. Mm -hmm. You're going to have those people that have, as you say, those that have been found left on furlough or you know, waiting to return to the workplace that are going to, or even be new to the organization that will not have experienced the communication styles and those that have potentially, like say, burnt out from over communicating. Um, and that for me is one of the big surprises is this, um, almost abandonment as being a legitimate communication strategy um, with stakeholders. And I find that fascinating that, as you say, it's not all organizations, but 
as a customer, I've experienced that um, strategy from several places, including my internet service provider, um, where I couldn't get hold of them by phone, email, text, um, or live chat. It just said, "Do not contact us." And I said, like, "Well, that that's not a, that's not a communication strategy. That is not how you want your customers to perceive you." And, and not even just from a customer perspective, I've seen it as well, or sorry, heard from other people talking about how their organisations have gone silent. And it's almost like unless the company has a clearly defined plan, they're not telling people what's going on. It's like actually the, the whole point right now is to create cohesion, community. You want you want to show empathy. You want people to feel valued and and heard and understood and yet if they can't give them any definitives they just say nothing mm-hmm. and i think that is that can be really really destructive um, so it's how do, you, how do you go about making it sort of a more flexible communication strategy and i think that how companies step up to treating their employees in this time will be you know in, in some ways always mirrors what our society what the challenges for our society you know and our, and our government you know and uh, you know i think that how you know, if, if people feel like they've been taken care of and looked after in a stressful time, then they will, you know, they, they generally do contribute more um, to, you know, the thing that has looked, at, looked after them, you know, as opposed to the, you know, the belief that, well, you need to earn their stripes first. Well, if we can look after people, then that can go a long way to ensuring the, ensuring the continuation of the business. And that's a difficult thing to do. You know, and, and and I mean, you could, we can even say that we haven't got that necessarily always a hundred percent right, probably. And it's a, you know, and that's an aspirational thing. But I think it's, you know, it's a, it's quite a nice aspirational thing to have in order to you know to to tr- to try and meet it. Uh, and I think that I mean, I've often thought that you know, in in norm in normal times, in uh, and I've just done the air quotes the same <laughs> as Andy did a little while ago, um, but uh, forgetting that we're uh, on podcast. But uh, in my normal times, I guess uh, when traveling, I I often thought you just don't see the best of people when they're traveling, you know, because of the stress. People don't quite often don't like traveling, especially in airports and all that sort of stuff. And I, yeah, I think that that's what we're seeing in wider society with the anxieties around face coverings or not face coverings or standing too close to people or not standing in the right spaces and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you know, certainly businesses, I suppose that businesses have a little bit more control over how they deal with that uh, to a degree than just trying to deal with that in, uh, on a wider social scale. But I suppose here's the thing, you know, if every business did start to step up to that and, and sort to try and control that, then maybe that would bleed out into, you know, wider society. So a lot of the conversations we've been having on this episode have been more the challenges and the negative of contrasting reactions to the situation we find ourselves in. Have you noticed any positives that you could draw out of the situation? I think the biggest positive for me is people's ability to surprise themselves and to surprise others, whether that's their engagement with a new form of working or a new firm of connecting and being in touch with people, the, the quizzes, the you know, this, this real drive to look after each other and look after people who, you know, you, you might never really have talked to your neighbors before, but during that lockdown, things got a little bit closer, but also this real drive to get fit. There was lots of memes that came out like the first three weeks after lockdown of huge glass recycling because everyone was like, we're in lockdown. We're just going to have loads of nice foods that's going to get delivered and we're going to drink alcohol. And actually, as time went on, what we did see was big surges in bike sales. We saw big surges in people doing community events virtually or or getting fit and healthy. And I think people are, everyone is always driving to be better. And 
where they're starting from and where they're going to is going to be different for each person. But if, if organizations can harness that goodwill, that ingenuity and that, that building resilience, I think that can really help organizations become very people centric and people centric organizations can do well. Yeah, for me, uh, echoing what Andy said there around communities coming together, and a, a very real example for us, where we live, there's basically you know two cul-de-sacs which are kind of uh, next to each other. And um, within two or three days, if that, of the lockdown happening, one of the households uh, within one of the cul-de-sacs had created uh, red, uh, basically cards, red and green cards, uh, and had created a WhatsApp group. Um, for everybody to join uh, and went around with red and green cards and you put the red and green cards in your window so green card meant if that was always showing everything's okay red card you turned it around if you needed help and in the early days of lockdown that might may, that might might have meant um you know, need some help with shopping because we're isolating you know or you know other help was was required um you know this that that then snowballed into obviously um people connected to the whatsapp group but then you didn't really know who was who so then one night um somebody just put a photo of themselves and said oh by the way this is me from number whatever and then so that night everybody did the same thing mm-hmm. so now you had a face to a name uh, which was fantastic and that is i mean i just went out this morning just to drop my daughter off at school we walked to school which has been another positive, by the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, just one of the next-door neighbours who I would never have communicated with before was in the window and just kind of big wave, waving at us uh, as we as we wandered past. And that sense of community is so much stronger in our little area now. Um, and probably, you know, that wouldn't have happened um, without lockdown. I mean, I think the second thing for me has just been the, the time that I've managed to get with my daughter, as you know, as I mentioned before, um, and my wife, um, but you know, pr- you know, pr- primarily my daughter, yeah. you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the amount of time, yeah, the homeschooling was a challenge, uh, and uh, maybe, and and I can't imagine having to have done that in another circumstance, like a flat or you know, with two or three children. But I was coming at this from a from not having spent a huge amount of time at home and being away every week, mostly. Um, to now having spent, you know, every, pretty much every day, um, with, uh, the family from the 23rd of March or whatever. And that's time that I maybe wouldn't have had and has been, I think it's, t- it's been time incredibly well bested in probably in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, and it, it just seems incredibly ironic that and I wonder how many people are finding this themselves that it, you know, it has taken a global pandemic in order to get some semblance of balance. Mm-hmm. Because I wonder how many people really, when they think about it, and whether it's business owners, whether it's, you know, senior leaders, all the way through to, you know, employees and businesses, you know, asking themselves the question, how sustainable really was your work life balance before this happened? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that it's absolutely right now. You know, it might be that we need to, you know, because there are times where I think, you know, I need to up it a little bit more and, and, and feel frustrated that I'm not necessarily as busy as I was before, or it feels like. Um, but, you know, that's, that should be the exception rather than the norm mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Yeah, I think I'd agree. Like, in terms of, obviously, I was, I was furloughed for a period and, and 
that gave me a chance to spend time with my son that I, I would have never have had, um, certainly on that level, uh, being his primary caregiver for that period of time. And uh, I think that's something that organisations can definitely um, continue to facilitate is that is the strengthening of the work-life balance. And um, for so long, work-life balance has been like a, a, a buzzword, a hot topic, and some people say, no, it's not actually achievable. And some people saying, oh, this is how you how you get there, and they say it's bizarre what how we've achieved it, or, or certainly or how some people feel more comfortable with it. But it's um, yeah, I think that's something that that's been a, a positive for me, and I think that and, and certainly a lot of organisations do seem to be embracing it as well, which is great. I think a buzzword and a dirty word. Yeah. You know, work-life balance quite often was is deemed as a as, as a as a dirty word mm-hmm. in in some ways. Um, so hopefully, you know, what's being demonstrated to to businesses is that actually, you know, yeah, you don't have to have people in wed, um, welded to their desk from nine till five in order to get the best of them. You don't need to demand that they commute, commute, you know, two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. Um, and even, you know, maybe the sad thing for our business, but this is where the opportunity lies for us is that, you know, in terms of getting people together for training courses and for meetings, you know, well, are there other ways of doing that? Because when we identify, well, what is the actual need? Then, you know, when we think about what the actual need is, then that, you know, means that we can maybe fulfill that need and help, yeah, meet that objective uh, more effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of from a, a flexible approach in terms of modal- training modalities. If you're talking about our mm-hmm. business, then it's, um, yeah, it does, it certainly opens up more opportunities for a creative solution to that, that problem that maybe, as, you see, as we talked about a lot, that people would just have done it the way they've always done it before. And if, if that doesn't exist, then you suddenly have to be creative in the way that you go about things. So, um, yeah, that, as, you say, it, as one avenue becomes slightly different from our perspective, it certainly um, opened up new doors and, and new ways of offering clients um, yeah, the chance to experience training. Thanks, guys, for your time. I think what I'd love to do now is invite uh, people listening that, to um, share their um, what their, their observations, their reactions um, to the change, what it's meant for them, what it's meant for their organisation. It's something that we can pick up on next time. And um, yeah, it'd be great to get people's feedbacks, uh, feedback opinions and um, yeah, suggestions for future episodes and, and ratings will be as well. So uh, thanks for listening and, and thanks Andy, thanks Joe for, for joining me today. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.